Good morning. Uh, I will be reading a poem written by Lois Taylor um, in regards to our Beatitude series and uh, from the beautiful sacred, and it's uh, entitled To Mourn. Right before I read this, I would just like to have a little testimony. So um, I've been going through a little bit, and um, I love this song that we had today. It says, trouble does not last always. It really does not, and God has got our backs. I just like to let you know that he's taken me out of a position where I was undervalued. I was not treated right. I would cry, saying, why, God, why do I have to be here? And tomorrow, I start a brand new job. So I am grateful. I am grateful. To mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. These are the ones who know the wearing of the black veil. Know the cloud of it on vision. The feel of it on skin. The ones who cover their faces, willing to know the ache. Sure, the pain is truth, is costly and rare and needed. Comfort comes to them like a secret whisper, comes without unseating grief, comes slowly, sits on in a willing silence. The friend, the counselor, who knows the absence of words and the comfort of mourning one's loss? Amen. Hey, everyone. Oh. <laughs> that is the weakest, scariest. Greeting I've ever received in this book, but let's try that again. Hey, everyone. They do exist. Uh, welcome to the Heritage Brethren in Christ Church. We're so glad you've chosen to be with us this morning. Uh, before I get started, I just want to give a special thanks to Eric Bird and United Voices of Praise for leading us in worship this morning. Such a blessing to, to see young people not only singing about the joy of the Lord, but living the joy of the Lord. So we thank you guys in the midst of, especially those of Messiah, I think. You didn't even have finals yet, but taking your Sunday to come be with us, we thank you and appreciate you. Um, last week, we started our series on the Beatitudes called um, Blessings, Promises of the Kingdom. In that, we said that these blessings that Jesus is pronouncing are really promises that he wants his people to have. One of the ways we said to understand all the Beatitudes is to look at them as a composite picture. Just like most of us wouldn't necessarily take a bite of something delicious and be like, I'm good. You know, you want to feel, finish, the whole uh, finish the whole meal or you wouldn't go to a movie and watch 30 seconds and be like, I got it, you know? Um, so to understand these, we have to read them together. So in light of this composite picture we're trying to paint with the Beatitudes, each week we'll focus on one Beatitude, one blessing, but to get us the whole picture, we're going to read the entirety thing. Um, so I'll be reading Matthew 5, 1 to 12. Uh, we'll have them up front as well. If you have your Bibles, you can also follow me along. I'll be reading in the NIV. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you're a God who pronounces blessing upon your children. We thank you this morning that you're a God who's good, that you're a God who's faithful, that you're a God who's true. God, help us to hold on to this entire picture of these Beatitudes as blessings of your kingdom, as blessings for your children, and as our blessing to our world. In your holy and precious name, amen. So the, the Beatitudes begin the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5 to 7. Yet right before Matthew 5 to 7 and this, this collection of sermons that Matthew compiles together, Matthew paints his picture of Jesus' church, Jesus' following. And what he does at the end of Matthew 4 is he shows people who are poor. He shows people who are broken. He shows people who are, are sick. He shows people who in that society were thrown out. And he brings them home to the base of Jesus' mountain. Matthew is intentionally speaking to a culture and even to us. Because just like that culture, we tend to lift up money. We tend to lift up power. We tend to lift up influence. And Matthew says, no, the church of God is the ones that are left behind. The church of God is a home for everyone. Matthew in this year is saying that in this culture, just like our culture, we bless the gods of this world. But when Jesus looks down at you, he looks down at his creation, he says, no, you are blessed. Matthew writes about a Jesus who's going to welcome all his children home. So this is why these Beatitudes then are blessings, but are blessings and are promises of the kingdom. Jesus said it time and time again, everything I do, my father has done. Everything I say, my father has said. So the best way to understand the Beatitudes is, is not so much a new teaching, a revolutionary teaching, as much as it's Jesus restating the same promises the father makes to the people in the Old Testament. Jesus not only welcomes all the children home, he gives this teaching, he gives this call. So if Jesus is giving a teaching, that means we ought to learn something. And if Jesus is giving a full call, that means as followers, we ought to follow him. So Jesus makes this teaching, this call to tell us that it's not the way to salvation, but it's the way people who belong in my kingdom live. The Beatitudes then are, are what the, the, Old Testament, the Old Testament people had this word, Asherah. When we see blessed, 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 when they said Asherah, it was a now. They focus on the now. So for them, it's not just this future promise, you know. Blessed are you when you mourn, one day you'll know comfort. No, what they're saying is, oh, the blessedness of now. How blessed are we to know God's comfort now. That's what they heard when they heard Asherah. But they also heard in this composite picture that Jesus is painting that this is the job of all the Christians to live and love like Jesus, to look like Jesus. This isn't just for the good Christians, whatever that means, right? Or, or the Christians who try harder. This is for all the Christians. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you follow Jesus, you have to look like this. 
The Greeks understood this same word that they used for blessedness as makarios. For them, makarios was funny because it was Greek, but it really held on to this ancient concept of shalom, the joy that the world can steal away, the joy that can never go, the peace that comes between you and God, but also you and your sister, you and your brother, and then you and your world. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew here uses the strongest Greek he could find and muster up to talk about mourning. This mourning is the one that's not hidden. It's the one that's a heartache that seems to not go away. It's unrestrained. It's the mourning that comes from losing someone who means a lot to you. I didn't tell this story in the first service, um, probably because I'm scared my family listens to these, so we'll see how this goes. But when I was about eight years, when I was nine years old, the matriarch of our family passed away. And, and this was a big deal because she was a former head of state's wife, you know? So it was, it was, a, it was an existential crisis on many levels for our family. But for me, I was just sitting there like, this is wild, right? And I walked in, and I remember this was the first time I ever saw white people speaking Liberian English. And if you don't know what Liberian English is, just wait till my mom comes and visit. We'll talk, and you'll get it right? So that was amazing. But the most amazing thing is my family, and there's something about Liberian people who we laugh in the face of danger. It's a coping mechanism. So even though we were all grieving, I remember this, to the, like we're standing at the, the grave site, and we're right up front, and, and Mother Vic is being lowered into the, 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 the hole. <laughs> so I look for a better word. Um, and there was a lady that she had adopted and raised to be her own. And she had this, what the Greeks would call pentheo, right? She had this mourning of losing her mother, and she's wailing and weeping, and she wants to jump into the grave. And because my family is my family, I had one uncle who just looked her dead in the eye and goes, let her go. Just, just let her jump in. You know, we're going to go eat and come back. We'll get her later. Just let her go. You know, because for him, it was just like, why are we holding her back? You know, just let her go. Let her go. She can sit there, get her thoughts together. We're going to go eat and come back. But before we let her jump, we didn't let her jump in. <laughs> but this idea of grief that can't hold on to, the grief that makes you shake, the grief that's not hidden, the grief that's unrestrained is what Matthew is speaking of as he recites Jesus saying, blessed are those who grieve. Blessed are those who grieve so deeply it cannot be hidden. Now, there's three different ways that people hear this, 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 I'm calling it a proverb, but this beatitude. There's three different ways that we've taken it. The first one's literally, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who endured sorrow. You know, um, yesterday I found out there's a, there's a lady, Rachel Held Evans, who is, you know, she, she was one of the, the great writers, I would say, in the world right now, right? Especially in Christian faith. She was someone who was willing to talk about justice issues. She was someone who was willing to, to put her faith in the public view. And she was willing to, to critique people and things that needed critiquing. I remember years ago, I met her at a BIC conference at YouthQuest, and I was just like, this is interesting. She really cares about, like, black people and Latino people and the least of these, and she's white. This is great, you know? That's why I first met her. And fast forward, you know, six, seven years later, um, someone, you know, like happens, I don't know, some of you are on Twitter or Facebook, but sometimes on Twitter, Facebook, on social media, I know you got to use your imagination on this. People can say and do some wild things, you know, like they can say some, I don't know, racist things, right? Like it happens every now and then on the Facebook, you know? And, and someone had said that and they came into my feed and I just wasn't, I didn't have time that day, you know, like I was just like, that's racist, you know? And I remember Rachel somehow seeing it and was just like, 
that is racist. Thanks, Hank. And she retweeted it. Now, here's the thing about people who have hundreds of thousands of followers, right? Like, when they retweet something you said, like, there goes your lunch. Because every time anyone of their followers sees it or likes it, it's like beep, 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 beep. But that started a conversation. And I remember, like, I was like, yeah, I met you years ago. But it started this conversation. And what I found was a dear sister who loved Jesus and was trying to figure out what does it mean to love Jesus in the world. The reason I'm telling you this story is because I don't know if I can, I can read Blessed Are Those Who Mourn Feel Be Comforted without this literal sense. Yesterday, Rachel died. She was 37 years old. She was a mother, or she is a mother, has a three-year-old, and a soon-to-be one-year-old. She went into the hospital because she was having the flu and a reaction to antibiotics and that coma and seizures, and, and now she's gone. And I tell that story because, you know, of all the negatives we have about technology, technology is also brings us closer together. You know, in the first service, I talked about how in sixth grade, we had pen pals in Japan, and we had a, the, the, to take this video. And it took us all week, right? Technology was not as good back then. It took us all week, and, and, and like, we had to get in front of the camera and say, hi, my name is Hank. I like math. Go Mets, right? And it took us all week because Michael Witzel, which I'm not going to name names. I'm just imagine I made up these things. Michael Jocker, too, you know, like, People kept messing up, you know, and every time they messed up, we'd have to start over. And I was like, come on, man. So it took us all week to film this video, right? We mailed it off to Japan, right? And we didn't get a, a response video till June. Like, that's the world in 1993. Some of you are like, I wasn't even born. Well, that's the world in 1993. But what's fascinating about that is now I can whip out my phone, hit a button, and call Japan. That's how much technology has changed. And so when I read about Rachel's passing yesterday, and I started getting emails and, and, and texts from friends, there was this deep sense of loss. So when we say blessed are those who mourn, it's about enduring sorrow. Because on this side of heaven, we are going to lose people. We're going to grieve, and that's okay. One of my good friends likes to say, you know, the sweet ain't as sweet without the bitter. One of my mentors used to always tell me, you know, it takes sunshine and rain to make the rainbow. And for those of us who grew up in the church, the mothers used to say, sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So if you're grieving this morning, if you're grieving because of a, a, a someone you've lost, if you're grieving because of a relationship that's broken, if you're grieving because you had these dreams of your life and you're not just reaching those dreams, but you're failing at even seeing those dreams, if you're grieving this morning, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are you as you mourn, for even right now, Jesus promises to be with you. The God who says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you is with you when you're grieving. So whether you're grieving a person, whether you're grieving a relationship, whether you're grieving a dream that died, whether you're grieving the world not as it should be, know that God is with you because he will never leave you nor forsake you and he's always going to be there for you. Amen? Amen? There's some of us who hear, blessed are those who mourn and they'll be comforted and we take it as a proverb. We take it to mean, you know, blessed are we when our hearts break for people who suffer. 
When our hearts break for the things that break God's heart. Our first proverb, our first beatitude last week says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And that proverb, that beatitude is going to this idea that we need to be people who are always emptying ourselves of the things this world values. We need to detach ourselves from the world in the sense of all the things the world says is important. Education, money, status, the neighborhood, the school district you live in. How much you got in your bank account, what your kids look like, what your kids are doing, what your kids aren't doing. Empty yourself of all those things and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with Jesus Christ. Be filled with the things that last. So if that's the foundation, now Jesus adds on to that foundation by reminding you, blessed are you when you mourn, for I am with you. And this idea of mourning calls us to detach from the things of this world, but never to detach from people. That's the call of Jesus. We're in this together. We need one another, and that's okay. So while being poor in spirits has to empty of the world and be filled with the Spirit, it also calls us to allegiance to Jesus Christ. And allegiance to Jesus Christ means that I so deeply love God that if this breaks God's heart, it's going to break my heart too. And you know this is possible because when you know someone, when you love someone and you see them struggling, you see them suffering, it breaks something in you. It breaks something in you. This is not a new concept. This is just how we live. This is part of how we're designed. But more than allegiance to God breaking your heart, remember what Jesus called us to be, ambassadors for Christ. So it's not enough to say, God, this breaks my heart because it breaks your heart. Or God, look at this suffering here. We are called to be ambassadors. We are called to represent God. So that means when we see suffering, we need to say, God, how can I help? It means when we see brokenness, we say, God, how can I, with the Spirit's help, make this whole? It means when we see darkness, it's not enough to run from the darkness and never let us be a people who hide from the darkness and build our safe world, whatever that means. Right? Never let, be people, let, never let us be people who so run from the darkness when our God says, you are the light of the world. And I'm not just talking about your individual light. I'm talking about the light that you bring to the table that adds to your light and my light and our light so that we together can be the light of the world. Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite writers, says it like this. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's not enough to have your heart broken. You got to say, God, this breaks my heart like it breaks yours. But how can I help? Because if you're willing to let your deep gladness and your skills and your gifts and your abilities unite with the world's deep need, there you will see Jesus already moving. And there you will see a God who's alive. And there you'll know that the dead can be raised up. There you'll know that every light can be shining to any darkness. And there you will know that we serve a God who makes us whole. Shane Claiborne had a book years ago. And in this book, he tells a story about going to Calcutta to, to visit Mother Teresa. And I love this story. You know, he goes and he, he's seeing the deep suffering. He's seeing people who are dying without dignity. He's seeing kids who don't know where their next meal is, and they're searching trash dumps to find food. And he's broken. But then he looks at these little lovely nuns who just love 
who help the dead die with dignity, who wrap their arms around them, who provide food, who take off the shoes on their feet to give it to people who are dying and walking around barefoot, and something changes in him. And he's like, I want to give my life to this. I want to give my life to this suffering. I want to alleviate this suffering. And he finally gets an audience with Mother Teresa, and he's all ready. You know, he's just like, I'm ready to give up my Americanism. I'm ready to give up the fact that I'm a white male and all this privilege I have. I'm going to go and I'm going to serve here. And he walks in, and he gives his whole spiel. And at the end of the spiel, she looks him dead in the eye, and she says, find your own Calcutta. And that changed something in me because it made me realize that God cares about suffering, yes. That God is with people, yes. But more than that, that God needs you where you're at. That God needs you with the people you know. You only know the people you know. I don't know the people you know in the relationship you have, you know. I call this the, the youth mission strip principle. I feel bad for parents. Parents used to, like, give their kids to me, and we go to another country, and we come back, you know. And it's like 10 days, and we come back, and they go to their parents. The first thing they say is like, Mom, I'm just so glad God loves me. You know, and the parents are sitting there with this existential crisis because on one level, they're happy, you know. But another level, they're like, I've been trying to tell this kid for 16 years. And it's like, come on, man, Really? Like, Hank got to take you to another country and not feed you for a week for you to realize that God loves you. But the reason this is important is because it's easy for us to pine for what's out there and not do the work that's right here. God has equipped you to be you. God has blessed you with skills, gifts, and abilities. God has put the tools in your tool belt to do only the work that you can do. And only you can do the work that you can do. So it's not just enough to say, my heart is broken for what's happening over there. It's enough for you to start saying, God, what can I do here? What can I do here with these gifts you've given me? Find your own Calcutta. So don't just let your heart break for the things that break God's heart. That's the start. But then you got to do the work to say, God, how can I alleviate some of this brokenness? You know, but then there's also people who read this, 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 this beatitude and they take it personally. Remember, the Beatitudes are meant to bring us in front of Jesus, bring us in front of God. And for most of us, we like the grace side of things, right? We like this idea of going before God, like, I can come before God just as I am. But the more you learn about God, that can also be a little bit terrifying. Because if you come before God just as you are, that means that you're coming before God saying, I fall short. It means you're coming before God saying, I'm leaving good left undone. It means that you're coming before God and saying, God, I need you. It means, God, I sin. And what this is getting at is this simple idea. Is it's not just grieving for loss or grieving for the things that break God's heart, but it's this idea of blessed is the one who grieves their own sin. And this is important because we live in a world that doesn't seem to want to believe sin exists. When the world is broken, we give all the excuses. We'll give all the excuses about why this is happening, why this is happening. But we don't get to the truth of, like, it happens because we're sinful people. Blessed is the one who's willing to stand before God and say, I am yours, but I fall short. I am yours, but I'm not enough. I am yours, but when I fall short, praise God you're there to pick me up. The blessing of standing before God as someone who grieves their sin is that's the only way you know true freedom. 
Now, a lot of us love 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's beautiful. It really is. It's beautiful to know that when I confess my sin, God forgives me right then and there. It's beautiful. But it's not the full picture. It's not the full picture because when you confess your sin, God tells you what he does. But we have to get back to doing what we need to do, and that's grieving. When you hurt someone you love, grieve it. When you sin and fall short, grieve it. We need to grieve our sin. Remember David, after he sinned against Bathsheba, after he sinned against Uriah, after he sinned against Israel, but more importantly, after he sinned against God, remember the things that David said in Psalm 51. It's not just, oh, I confess and God forgives me. That sounds good to all of us, right? If you just got to walk in and ask confession, God, I'm sorry, and he forgives you, that's good. But think about the process that David goes through. Think about all the way he deals with his sin and puts him in front of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings, or I would bring it. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. We have to get better at grieving our sin. We have to be intentional about not looking at sin as this automatically cleansing. You get in, you say your little prayer, and now you're good. It's got to be a process. It's got to be a process of you saying, I have ruptured my relationship with God. I have ruptured my relationship with my brother or my sister. I have ruptured my relationship with the world and my community around me. God, I need shalom. God, I need peace from you. God, I need forgiveness. But God, I need you to cleanse me. God, I need you to create in me a new heart. God, I need you to restore me. So it can't just be an automatic confession as if you put in the formula and you get the answer. It's got to be a process. And part of that process is saying, God, I fall short. God, I need you. God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. God, forgive us. God, help me. God, cleanse me. God created me, your heart, amen? We think about 
God's forgiveness. And I think you can't talk about sin without talking about shame. And I think for a lot of us who grew up in the church especially, we might know God forgives us, but we for too long let the devil own us and imprison us because we get locked down in our shame. Brene Brown has this great definition. She says, guilt is saying I did something bad. Shame is saying I am bad. And shame for too long has kept us captive. We might know God forgives us, but our shame is the shadow that we can't shake. Our shame is the God that we, we bow down to because it's, in, it's, it's paralyzing us. And it's holding us back from knowing God's true love. And shame is a terrible master. Shame is a terrible master. Only Jesus is meant to be Lord. Because if shame is your Lord and shame is your God, it'll say what's been done to you is all you are. What you've done in the past is all you are. What you've had to live through is okay because it's you. Shame is a terrible master because it's going to accuse and convict you. It's going to imprison you. It's going to lie to you and say you're stupid. It's going to lie to you and say you're a failure, you're a bad person, you're a fraud. Shame is going to say you're not good enough, but here's the thing. You'll never be good enough. Shame will say time and time again that you do not matter, that you deserve this hurt. Shame will say that you're inadequate. That you shouldn't have even been born because you're so unlovable. That's what shame does. And there's so many of us who love Jesus Christ, but will never know the love of Jesus Christ because we keep making shame our Lord. But praise God that he's come to set us free. Praise God that when shame lies to us and says, you know what, I'm going to accuse you and convict you. Praise God for Jesus who says, it's okay, I died for you. Praise God that when shame comes to us and says, you know what, I'm going to imprison you and paralyze you. Jesus says, I got the key and I'm going to let you out. Praise God when shame says you're stupid. God just looks at you and says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I spoke the world into existence and took my time to create you. Praise God when shame says you're a failure. God says, it's okay, you need me. It's okay, you need me. It's okay, I got you. When shame says you're a bad person, God says, really? Really? How can you be bad when I live inside of you? When shame says you're a fraud, you're a fraud, God says, it's okay, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'll help you along the way. When shame comes to you and says, you know what? You're never good enough. You don't matter. You deserve this hurt. Jesus says, what? I not only created you, I came for you. I moved into this world for you. I showed you how to live to please God. I went to the cross to die for you. I was resurrected for you. And now I live in heaven for you. When shame says that you're inadequate, that you shouldn't have been born, that you're unlovable, God says, come home. Come home. You know, there's a lot of great things we can learn in this beatitude. I think one of it is just simply this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's some of us who need that literally this morning because we're grieving losing someone. We're grieving losing a relationship. We're grieving losing a dream. Blessed are you, for you will be comforted. I think there's some of us who need to look at it proverbially, who know that, you know, when things break my heart, it's okay because they break God's heart too. And now the work I got to do is move to a point of saying, God, how can you help me fix this broken heart and fix the brokenhearted? 
But as all of us who need to say, blessed are we who mourn, and we need to grieve our sin. Grieve our sin for we hurt God. Grieve our sin because we hurt our brothers and sisters. Grieve our sin because the world is not as it should be. And we're adding to that. But don't let shame rule you. Because God's always going to be greater than your sin and shame. Amen? Amen. So there's four things I want us to hold on to as we think about blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. The first one is simply this. However it is you're mourning right now, whether you're mourning losing a friend, losing a loved one, whether you're mourning losing a relationship, whether you're mourning losing a dream, whether you're mourning personally, whatever it is right now, however you're mourning right now, Jesus is with you in your dark room. Whatever you're going through right now, Jesus is the same one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And here's the joy of our Jesus. On this side of heaven, if you're not mourning now, you might be mourning tomorrow or a week from now. On this side of heaven, the morning will come, but the sorrow only lasts for the night. The joy comes in the morning. And if you're mourning right now or you're mourning a week from now or a year from now, Jesus is with you in your dark room. Amen? Amen. Second thing I want you to hold on to, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, is simply this. We don't like to verbalize this, but we like to think it. When we see brokenness, when we see suffering in the world, we might not say it because we know it's wrong to say, but we think it, right? How can God not care? Where's God in the middle of this? Where's God in this suffering? But here's the thing I want you to hold on to when you get to that point. Know this. It is impossible for you to love better than God can love. It is impossible for you to care more than God can care. It's impossible. So what do we do with this when we see suffering? Well, the first one is let your heart be broken. It's okay to let your heart be broken by suffering. That makes you not just human. That makes you like your Jesus. It's okay when the world's not as it should be to say this is not as it should be. And God, it breaks my heart because it breaks your heart. But the next step is to let your broken heart lead to healing. It's to let your broken heart lead to healing because our scars tell the story. This is why Jesus still has his scars. So that when we get to heaven, we can see him and see the wounds that pierce the skin. Henry Nouwen says that Jesus is the wounded healer and Jesus calls all of us to be wounded healers. And all that means is that let your heart be broken. Ask God to heal your heart and then take your wounds into the battle because there's people who are broken too and they need to look at you and know that they can make it. There's people who are suffering right now and they need to look at you and be like, well, if you made it, I can try too. We have to be wounded healers. That's what God calls us to be. Even when the, the New Testament calls us to comfort, that God will comfort us, there's a reminder in Corinthians where he says, like, there's also going to be a time where God calls you to comfort others. Everything you go through, if you give it to God, he can use it for his glory. Every wound, every scar, every hurt that you go through, if you give it to God, he will use it for his glory. We have to be wounded healers. And the, the last one is in the Brethren in Christ, we have these core values. And I've been alluding to a little bit in the sermon, but one of our core values is community, belonging to the community of faith. In that we say we value integrity in relationships and mutual accountability in an atmosphere of grace, love, and acceptance. 
Blessed are those who mourn, but do not mourn alone. Blessed are you that Jesus is with you, but he's also blessed you with this community around you. We have to do better at needing one another. Our world tells us you're individual, you can do it all on yourself. Jesus says, no, you need each other, and that's okay. But here's my favorite part about blessed are those who mourn. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the Greek and in the English, that of all the words Jesus chooses to talk about the Holy Spirit that will come and live in us, he calls the Holy Spirit what? The comforter. Blessed are those who mourn, for my comforter lives inside of them. How powerful is it to know that when you're mourning, we don't just have to use our mind and be like, yeah, Jesus is with me. You can know, you can feel, you can experience the Holy Spirit, the comforter that lives inside of you. Amen? I'd like to call up the, the, the Gospel Choir United Voices of Praise. We're going to close with our final song. But as we sing this song, I want you to hold on to a God who's holding on to you. I want you to hold on to a God that no matter how you're grieving this morning, he's with you. I want you to hold on to a God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I want you to hold on to a God who says, let these things break your heart, but come to me to heal you. And then come to me to use you to help mend those broken hearts. I want you to hold on to a God who says to you this morning, your sin and your shame will never define you. Let my love always hold you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and sing together. I'd like to invite all the intercessors up. We'd love to pray for you for anything you've got going on. I'd also like to invite up any pastors in the room to please come up. We'd love to pray for you. In a world of deep, deep mourning, God's blessed us with the Spirit and with each other. Let's sing and pray together.